have a dream that all men are created equal. interested in the arts, in being an actor maybe, and would you like some advice? If you're just getting underway, how about some advice from someone who's lived a life in the theatre? Hello everyone, welcome back to Your Story, I'm your host Ian Kath, this is The Half Ton, this is episode 50. I'm rather proud of what we've managed to achieve here, 50 episodes means 50 people that we've spoken to, 50 lives that we've had a chance to explore, and I look forward to the next 50. I've already got a few people in the pipe coming down and I'm looking forward to talking to them very shortly and getting them up out to you. This is a lot of fun to do, this podcast. I enjoy it a great deal and I'm looking forward to developing it even more as time goes by. The first 50 will be the hardest for sure because this is where I've had to learn how to do it and I'm now just continually refining my skills. The site, of course, is over at yourstorypodcast.com. You can always leave a comment after a post. It's always nice to hear from you that way or through an email via chat at yourstorypodcast.com there and also over at the Facebook fan page where I post little bits of news from time to time, particularly little bits of information that's more relevant to uh, not want to put up in the feed in any way. Sharing's important. Get it out there to people. Burn maybe an individual episode for somebody if they're particularly interested in that subject. That previous episode about Cliff is one where people have been sharing that around quite well because it's something that a lot of people have issues with. Stumble it, dig it, all those sort of things helps to get it out. And there's a few comments in iTunes. I've noticed just in the last week that iTunes tends to only have comments for the particular country. So there are quite a few comments in the Australian store. But over in the US store, there's only one comment. In the Canada store, there's no comments. So if you happen to live in some of the other countries, there may not be any comments at all. I know for a fact in the UK, New Zealand and Canada, there are no comments at all in iTunes. So if you happen to live in any of those countries and you'd like to put a comment in iTunes, that would be wonderful. And I appreciate that. The music is from IOTO PromoNet, and don't you love this tune in the background? This is from IOTO Alliance, and they supply the music that I like to get, and I get it for nothing, so that I can share it with you. It's all about promoting the artists. If you like this particular tune, you can go and download it from the link at the end of the post, but if you want the whole album, you can go to IOTO Alliance and actually download it from there, and maybe pay a few dollars for it so the artists can get a bit of money. That's good for them. It's good for us. Everybody's happy. So many people love the idea of being an actor, don't they? Yeah, being in the theatre, the glamour, the charm of it all. Ah, yes, isn't it wonderful? I've worked a little bit in the film industry and a little bit in theatre, and I know the reality, and it's not as glamorous as you might think. There is a bit of glamour. It tends to be on opening night, and it's only for oh, maybe an hour or three. The rest of the time, it's just sheer hard work, and I tell you, the people in the arts work damn hard. Today's show is from someone who's been in the theatre scene for the better part of 40 years and has seen the good and the disappointment of theatre life. How seriously and determined do you need to be to succeed? This is some of the history of the local scene here in Brisbane, but the lessons are the same not only for the theatre industry, but for the arts in general. Here's Kate's story. (music) 
11th of February 2010. Mm. Kate Foy, otherwise known as Drama Girl. Oh, yes. And a much better name than Drama Queen, isn't it? I've oh, often absolutely. Thought that, no, I've often thought that. That's been taken by other people Is it really? me. Oh, yes, far greater Drama uh, Queens than I, I'm yeah. sure. Welcome to your story, and I'm Thanks. keen to talk to you. We've met mm. once before in a coffee shop up in my mm-hmm. hometown, Toowoomba, where you now live, and we follow each other pretty closely on Twitter and Flickr and similar places. But I've been doing a bit of work for Queensland Theatre Company over the last oh, several years, both in the workshop but lately doing some audio recordings for them. And in amongst my research, I came across a name, which was Murray Foy. Mm. And I went, Foy, this is interesting. I wonder if he's related to Kate. So I sent you a tweet and lo and behold, he's your was yes my husband yes mm. and Whom I, I met at Queensland Theatre Company as a young actor he auditioned me for the company and uh, the rest as they say is history yeah and then when I started digging around I discovered if, that you're heavily involved in this organisation <laughs> you had, could say that and you're heavily involved in the whole Queensland theatre scene and I had no idea because I only knew you as drama girl my Twitter friend mm. and it's one of the wonderful things about Twitter for those people who don't necessarily use Twitter Let's talk about who you are and where okay. you've been and what, what do you think of yourself primarily as? Right now, you know, it's interesting. I was, um, I'm down in Brisbane at the moment for some duties associated with my job as chair of the board at Queensland Theatre Company, uh, but also as a theatre lover. So there were a couple of opening nights that I had to come for and some meetings, thinking things are pretty good at the moment. There have been a plethora of magazines over the years that have attempted to bring people together around theatre, you know, reviews, opinion pieces, but they've all gone down the tubes. So last September I thought to myself, it's about time we started one up specifically for Queensland because that's, you know, where I live. I'm going to pitch it specifically at the professional and the independent theatre scene as much to bridge the gap, and there is a gap at the moment in the theatre scene here. Uh, there's not, it's a saturated labour market in the arts, particularly in the theatre. And I thought what we need to do is get some dialogue going. Now, you, you've talked about Twitter. Twitter's a great way to talk, and we do it all the time. But I thought we probably need somewhere like a hub that we can all come together uh, and where we can reflect upon the work we're doing, just generally chat, have a social um, space, get some more reviews and opinions and ideas about what's happening at the moment, who's doing what, what our aspirations are. So I started up Green Room, um, and that's great fun. I've been posting to it. But then I started... What's the URL? It's actorsgreenroom.net. I've started to get some guest posters and guest reviewers, and to my surprise, I just sent out a very tentative Twitter to a couple of people that I know, colleagues, some ex-students now working as as artists and creatives, and I said, would you mind? And back came, we would love to. And I thought, oh, that's good. So coming across this morning and driving the car thinking, I'm actually a publisher. You are. But more than that, I'm a facilitator too of voices in the community. I'm actually extending my life as an academic and, and a researcher and a writer and a teacher Uh, with the other side of my life, which has always been involved in theatre as an actor, director, writer and so on, now into a kind of, God, older, senior artist but publisher. I'm bringing a whole lot of things together. Yeah, it's all coming together into new media, isn't it? And and creating a... um a space, a community space for people to That's it, interact. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but a specific a specific group of people. Yes, yes, and, yes. Um, theatre people in yeah. Queensland. That's where you are now. Mm. Take us back. You, have you always been passionate about theatre? 
I suspect so. Um, or acting. Like, could you have gone down the film path just as readily oh, as sure, life? Oh, sure, sure. I mean, actors today are delighted to get a job for a start. But, yeah, film, stage, radio. I do quite a bit of voiceover work at the moment, um, which is a script and a microphone and cans. And a more f- formal version of what we're doing right now. Absolutely. And uh, I love that. That's great, um, creating a world with your voice. But, yeah, all of that. Actors do all of that. But my very one of my very first memories was being taken to uh, a theatre show and I suspect it might have been at the old Cremorne Theatre in Brisbane it must have been vaudeville I I remember very little except standing in the aisle and I remember I had a dress on and twirling around and I'm told later it's one of those family stories that your parents embarrass you with that I you know everyone turned around and watched me they didn't watch the stage because there was this dear little two-year-old or three-year-old twirling around you know horrible upstaging thing Mm. you know um, but certainly could teach you a little bit of how nice it is to have attention and maybe... Well, perhaps that's what I was <laughs> after. But, you know, that that is a, an early memory and I think that's probably significant. But I do remember going to the theatre quite a bit when I was a kid and at school and absolutely just loving the excitement uh, of being in a new space and knowing that it was a space that was going to tell stories and create magic and make you feel different. Now, it could have been a sporting arena, but for me, it happened to be a theatre. And I remember nothing quite so thrilling as sitting in the seats down at Her Old Majesty's, the old Her Majesty's Theatre, and house lights going to half, and there was always a light on the red curtain, and there'd be, if it was a musical or an opera or a ballet, you know, you'd have the uh, the overture, and that was thrilling, you know, that's emotional mainlining stuff, just gets into you. Up would go the curtain and I'd be transported. Now I remember thinking, my goodness, you know, there's light and there's sound and there's stories and it's magic. So naturally I was attracted to it. A lot of us have been on the punter side of the curtain. What's it like being on the other side? Oh, I, God, that, that's a big question. Well, um, okay, let's start with just the actual performance. You're like, like, I've been there sitting in the seats and the curtain goes up and there are these people and it looks like they do this all day, every day, and they're mm. totally comfortable. I'm mm. peering into their living rooms. Mm. There's no stress. There's no anxiety. Mm. Well, of course there is. Of you course know, And I is. think we everyone knows. You've heard of stage fright, yeah. um, and that, that's something that can cripple people. I personally have always found it very thrilling, exciting. I get tingles in my fingertips. I know I'm excited and thrilled. And there's probably a bit of nervousness in there too. But it's not performance anxiety. It's performance excitement. And the tingles in the fingers, and it's just... I suppose it's adrenaline. What's the experience of actually performing? Do you go? Do you transport yourself into the world of the play, or do you know you're an actor the whole time? Oh, playing? You, yeah, you know you're an actor all the time. But what's interesting is that you you have a consciousness of your yourself as actor and self as character, and those selves cross over backwards and forwards. So, you know, you hear someone in July, you know, when it's flu season and everyone in the audience is coughing and you go, I wish that guy up the back would stop coughing. You know, that's that's you as the actor being aware that you are in a particular situation. And then you can sometimes come off stage and you don't recall the last, say, 10 minutes or 15 minutes of the act simply because you were so engaged with character and particularly with your um, scene partners, you know, where there's that wonderful eyeball-to-eyeball engagement and where you are playing. It's like a really finely tuned, mm, let me think of an analogy, like a, a, a tennis match. 
you know, where I hit a line to you and you scoop it up and send it back to me, but not quite where I expected it to fall, but I pick it up and send it back to you. We play within the lines, within the rules of the game, so we don't change the lines. I'm still the same character. We're still pursuing the same objectives. But is that, that wonderful liveness of theatre performance that is thrilling for a performer and I think for audiences too because at any minute you know the wheels could fall off someone forgets a line something terrible happens doesn't happen very often because you know most actors today are professionals and they don't come a gutter <laughs> nowadays you can go to NIDA you can mm. go and study but back in your day mm-hmm. how did how did people become professional actors well, you could go to NIDA back in my day too. Really? <laughs> NIDA was around back then, was it? Yeah, it oh, was. Okay. I, I'm um, not sure when NIDA started. Yeah, NIDA started in 1959. Actually, my husband Murray was in the first intake at NIDA. National Institute class. for Dramatic Art. In Sydney, For those yeah. who don't know. Yeah, and uh, probably one of the most prestigious and best acting academies in the world. Really? In fact, I'm sure it is. Wow. Um, it had just begun and um, very little was known about it and I was kind of, um, well, what was I, 17 or 18 and it was the last thing that my parents thought I should do came from a very conservative working-class background and it was more important that I got a job until I got married, you know, Mm. after which my husband would take care of of me. So we're talking early 60s here. So I went to teacher's college because I thought that was the quickest way to earn enough money to save, to go overseas, to run away and study overseas, which is exactly what I did. However, along the way, I discovered that I loved teaching. So... I went to drama school in London. It was called back then um, a sandwich drama course, which means that you could be out working, but you would have, say, intensives at the weekend and three nights a week, which was a, a really great way to, um, to be able to earn, uh, you know, not to starve, I should say, and to train in a city where I could go to the theatre every weekend. I mean, part of my training was watching Laurence Olivier and Maggie Smith at weekends mm-hmm. and John Gilgood. And mm-hmm. um, and when you learn some theory at, uh, at, at school, you then get yeah. to see it in practice. What a yeah. great way to learn. So it was, um, it was a pretty exciting time, and that was the late 60s um, into the very early 70s. So I was trained and came back to Australia, and the thing called the Queensland Theatre Company had been started up while I was away. Which is now celebrating its, its 40th. Its 40th, yeah. Year. So I came back in um, 71 and it had been going for, you know, roughly 18 months or so. And much to my delight, um, I knew that they were having open auditions. So I applied, did an audition and there you go. Wow, and you managed to jag some work. I did, yeah. It's a tough road to hoe. Mm. There are many, many thousands of people out there who want to be in the arts and it can be all the arts. Drama's just one of them. And they aspire to it. They go and study it. Some of them luck it from amateur. Mm. And so few of them actually manage to earn any money. Mm-hmm. A lot of them do it at an amateur level, but mm-hmm. a few do manage to jag mm. it. How hard is that row? To oh, it's very hard. It, incredibly hard. You put your finger right on it. I mean, it, it is a saturated labour market. For every actor in a job, there are nine out of a job. You know, it's something like 90% unemployment rate. Um, what it takes is a great deal of iron in the soul, I think, to pursue the road of the artist. Because you know, I used to say to my students at USQ and the actor training program, look, acting is a part-time job. You know that, don't you? The rewards may be huge or they may be, you know, chicken feed, which is the way it often is, but that doesn't prevent the artist from seeking to perform, to write, to paint, to dance, to sing, you know, whatever it is. That is just a given. How you manage to do that 
as long as you don't want to be filthy rich and famous, as long as you can find the means to pursue your art, that's okay. It means maybe that you have to very early on decide that you can do without the beautiful things or the expensive things. But, you know, all of the young artists that I know are plugging away. Now, there's, there's also a self-sifting that goes on. If you can't bear it, well, it's great that you understand that fairly quickly and you go, I, this is too hard, I'm not prepared to persist this way. Then that's good you'll be happier in yourself. Go away and find something else to do. Keep your love of the theatre alive. There are many ways that you can contribute to the theatre and love it as, a, as a, an audience member, you know, as a writer. You can be a, a, an accountant and a playwright. You know, there's nothing to stop you doing that. But it's very, very, very hard. The institutional theatre in this country and in many countries around the world is very limited. There aren't enough jobs for the people who want them. It's always hard to make it in the institutional theatre, and by that I don't mean amateur theatre, because amateur theatre is, you know, for those who, who love it, weekend hobby. Fiercely in, intense, of course. My sister is a dedicated... And some of it is incredible quality. Absolutely. And, and you know, how good to be able to mm. indulge that passion that you have while knowing that you can still pay the rent and have kids and a mortgage and all of that. You know, no, that's, that's the reality that you have to square up against. If you don't want to do that and you seek to pursue it on a daily basis and tr try to make a living from it, I think, you know, good on you, but it's going to be fiercely hard. If you make it, and making it is in the public's eye, I think, the equivalent of being the name above the headline, being a Geoffrey Rush or a Kate Blanchett, winning awards and having, you know, um, obscene <laughs> salary for a film, they're rare. But, you know, I, a lot of the actors that I know, and there wouldn't be one of them that wouldn't want that, hell, you know, it'd be fantastic. But for them, making it is often having the respect of their peers and being able to work at a level, a professional level, a high level, because as much as the amateur scene you can see from time to time really good work generally it's not i mean to be brutally honest it's not across the board wonderful um you'll have one or two terrific people and the rest will be not so good because they're not trained or inexperienced there'll be something that doesn't quite gel whereas the people who seek to work at a higher level at the professional level you're looking at well the word professional says it all before we move on, I just want to ask you, if, if there was a young person listening in on this, an 18, 20, 25-year-old listening in on this, and they're, going, they're, they're fluctuating at the moment between despondency and hope, what would you recommend to them? Well, you do it, but just know that, you know, give it your best shot, but you may not. Just give it your best shot. Give it your best shot, and if you will know if there's anything else that you can give your passion to in time. And, you know, fortunately, most of us um, can have a couple of passions in our life. Um, if it has to be acting and nothing else but acting and you will be miserable if you don't do that, then for God's sake, get out and do it. Find a way to do it. I would say you've got to be trained. No one's interested these days in people who don't know how to work. You walk into a rehearsal room, there are certain things that everybody expects that you know what to do. There's nobody there to tell you what to do. If you walk into an audition room, you know, there are certain ways of behaving, certain ways of doing things. You need to know those things, and you learn that through professional training. 
whether or not you take that on a part-time basis, make sure that you get good teachers that come recommended, or go to a formal training school, NIDA, VCA, Whopper in Western Australia, and try to get experience. Start networking, and gradually you'll find a way to make it work for you. But don't give up. If it's your passion, never give up. And for God's sake, be enthusiastic about what you do. Don't be one of those whinging people. I, I think that that is just death to the soul, to the spirit. Stay enthusiastic, stay energetic, be passionate and commit yourself to it. Don't give up. When you came into the industry back in, well, late 60s, early 70s, and you settled into the Queensland Theatre Company, where else did you work? Back then, we had a wonderful radio drama unit here in Brisbane. And I would do a play with the ABC just about every week. It's fantastic, you know. Um, tell, tell me a little bit about voice acting compared to physical acting because, to me, physical acting, I can see the hard work, but mm. voice acting seems like reading a script, that mm. there's no acting, it's just voice. Mm. I know that's not correct, but yeah. I don't understand what it actually is. Why get actors to play uh, cartoon characters and animations, you know? Like, why not just get a narrator? Because I think if it's a, let me think now, all right, cartoon character. Well, you've got character there for a start. You've said the character word. Actors understand that. Sometimes narrators don't. Character is, is a whole lot of things. It has a lot to do with attitude. So if you take, say, a cartoon character, understanding who that funny little mess of squiggles is and looking at how he or it or she moves, you get a sense of what the voice might be like and what the attitude of that little thing might be like, you know. As opposed to something that's like that, you know. That's a kind of an imaginative construct that actors understand very well. Actors are used to looking at a script and going, what am I being told about this person? Who are they? What's their backstory? If you're doing voice acting, you've got... Sometimes in commercials, you will get just a few lines that, that indicate who you are. For example, I did one a couple of weeks ago, a woman who was saying to her daughter, it was for a, a, a retirement home, for God's sake, I'm in that bracket now, that voice, <laughs> and uh, the daughter's saying, oh, mum, this place is really great, and she's saying, oh, but I have my uh, painting classes and I've got to go to so-and-so, so-and-so. Is this going to take long because I'm, I've really got lunch with the girls? You know, so I look at that and I go, oh, hello, that's telling me a little bit about that woman. So I make a decision about what she's going to sound like, how quickly she's going to speak, which words she's going to emphasise, how she relates to her daughter. So there's a mother-daughter relationship. How do mothers relate to their daughters? So there's a whole lot of stuff, you know, that mm. you're kind of basic. Who am I? What am I doing? It's uh, interesting also watching you, Kate, as you've been doing this, you've physically changed. You mm. actually scrunch your shoulders up or you're relaxed more so mm. you actually bring the physicality into oh, the voice absolutely and and you know if you watch a lot of voiceover actors they do exactly that and and if you get any you can see them all on youtube you know some of the really great uh, voiceover artists voicing films and and you, you see them hunched over the microphone and and uh, robin williams is is you know an example par excellence he mm. does that too he's fantastic it, it's actually you put your physicality that into the voice there are more notes there's more range if just speaking to you like this as i would in in everyday life it sounds really boring on a microphone but if i say gee and it's really great to see you here today i'm, I'm immediately 
opening up my range, my resonators. I'm using more colour, you know, colouring the voice. So that's a kind of energy that voice actors need to, to do because there, there are no visual clues for the person listening. The visual clues are in their head. Somebody once said to me, the pictures are better on radio. Audible books particularly, you know, where you've got narration and then you've got character work as well. That's another kind of voice acting that requires a real understanding of of the relationship between the narrator and the listener. You know, I'm your friend here, I'm taking you along the road. And then she walked up to him and said, oh, Mr Darcy, really? And then you've got to switch out of narrator, your mate... Uh, into the character and make you hear what I want you to hear, which is a particular attitude and a particular relationship, and to keep you interested so the voice isn't dull. Now, this is a bit of a specialty of yours these days. You actually teach and train and and physically do this yourself now. Mm. Why did you move into that? Have you actually moved out of physical acting? Oh, no, not at all. I'm just waiting for that call. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> no. I, I've, look, I've come from uh, an academic career where I was training actors for eh, 20 years or so, and um, my specialty is, is voice and text work. So I suppose it was just a natural thing. I'd be training my, uh, my young artists in their third year. We'd go into the voiceover studio and we'd work fairly intensively for a semester or so to produce their demo reels, or demo CDs as they're called now. And the technician that I worked with at USQ used to say to me, jump in the booth and we'll put down a few things. And towards the end he said, you know, we've got enough here for a demo CD for you. Why don't I put it together? So he did, he produced it, and I sent it out and I got representation. And I thought, oh, that's nice because I'll be retiring soon. I'd really like to get back into this. It's a nice way back in, into the water. The good thing is with voice acting, you, you don't have any makeup, you don't have any costumes, you've got the script, a microphone, your imagination, you tell stories or... You don't you know, have to stay up late at night. No. Quite have... often you, you walk into the, um, into the uh, recording studio and they hand you the script on the day. So that's another skill. You've got to be a good reader. You've got to be able to read for time, read for emphasis, uh, read for point of view, attitude and so on. Did this and the academic work become your real job between physical acting gigs? Uh, well, like I said, I've, I've had a foot in, in education and training and the professional theatre all my life, so I'm, I'm you know, happy to flip backwards and forwards. No, it's not. I think it's a bit like a life path that keeps crossing over, you know, keeps sort of crossing over the other one from time to time. I'm moving in the same direction. I'm still, I think of myself very much as being involved in theatre per se, and as I said before, there are many ways you can become involved. Right now, I'm encouraging people to give their voice to what we're doing here in Queensland and how we're doing it, encouraging young artists and creatives to write and to contribute to the blog. So I'm thinking of myself as a sort of a theatre publisher. <laughs> Anyone listening to this is going to go, yeah, right. There's a bit more to it than just having a blog, Kate. But I'm still involved in the theatre. So my passion can go down that track too. But what we both know about the internet nowadays is this little blog of yours could easily be the most powerful thing in five years' time because it could easily be the hub for mm. a huge community. Yeah, you know, well, Things like that are happening all around the world. Well, they certainly are, and uh, who, knows who knows what will happen. Uh, but I, I certainly saw the need, I thought, a need for people to come somewhere and talk to one another, apart from opening nights when it's all a bit frantic or when you meet 
you know, in a rehearsal room floor, but to bring in a diversity of voices. Um, because I think theatre in, in Queensland at the moment, certainly in the southeast corner, there's a, a critical mass that we've never had before. There are a lot of young people who are now choosing to stay here rather than to go to Sydney or Melbourne or anywhere. You know. um, that talent drain that we had up until 10 years ago has largely dissipated. And in fact, there's a lot of rumbling around the ridges because a lot of southern actors and actors from elsewhere are coming to Queensland and taking uh, jobs. Now, that's been a whinge for as long as I've been an actor. But the, but point, the, the, the reverse f- was true when people were absolutely, going south as well. Absolutely, but the, the, the fact of the matter is now there is an option for young people to stay here because there are support networks. There are like-minded artists and creators there are two major professional performing um, companies, La Boite and Queensland Theatre Company, and a growing, very interesting and varied independent theatre scene. These are the part-time groups that come together, sometimes with a niche like 23rd Productions or AS Productions. They come together and they might do two shows a year. The rest of the time they're you know, serving coffee and driving cabs and doing everything... But they're also writing plays and thinking of themselves, keeping the flame alive, contributing to the theatre ecology in this part of the world, hence the block. So it's interesting we've come back to that subject again. Mm. It's, it sounds like it's the current passion. Well, it was this morning when I was driving. I thought, I'm a publisher. I don't write reviews. I write pieces, commentary. But as chair of the Board of Queensland Theatre Company, I'm mindful uh, that it's probably unethical for me to, you know, sort of mm. enter into the bait. I certainly can't write about the company. And I wouldn't write about the other professional company because that's seen as, you know weird thing to do but I'm encouraging other people to have to put their voice in there and to write more thoughtful considered pieces than you might find in a two inches of a newspaper column and to continue the debate in commentary Mm. Mm. also I can see it as being a a networking hub for all of the disciplines what a good educational resource this would be eventually because you've got first person interviews with designers and Mm. playwrights that Mm. sort of thing and they're dated and you can actually see people before they become famous or when they become despondent or things like that yeah we must be mindful to preserve our cultural archives and every one of us has to take responsibility to be proactive curators you know once upon a time libraries and museums did that and with the degrading of a lot of the quality of old things like film and videotape and so on it's really incumbent on all of us to preserve the stories that we feel are worth preserving and what's worth preserving well what you think is worth preserving you never know whether the photos that I snapped on Australia Day at Noosa Heads in 2010 are going to have something culturally significant in 2110 Mm. will they still be preserved well yeah We'll do what we can to sort of upgrade them as we go. had a beach. Absolutely. Or suddenly everyone going around the place, or a lot of people, with with Australian flags flying on their cars. What was that about? Mm. That's a significant item, you know, a visual item. That might be very, very useful Mm. and very valuable. Mm. 2010, the start of this insane patriotism that led to fascism. Who knows? Exactly right. And, yeah. um, you know, there's a date on it. For me, it was a, a shot of the beach, a shot of, mm. of the place. Um, so, yep, up it goes to Flickr. It gets preserved in more than one place.
Because if it's not in two places, I'm told by those who know, it doesn't exist in the digital world because it's so easy to, you know, to, to get lose broken. it completely. Yeah. Yeah. But like the old nitrate film, the Ned Kelly movie, have you ever seen bits of that footage? That mm-hmm. was done in 1898 or something, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. They never got the whole thing. But you do know. you know, this is, this is something that really shocked me, Wake in Fright, that Australian movie Don't from 1976. Oh, it was a landmark Aussie film. It was a, a real shocker and a fine film. They thought they'd lost it and someone found the cans in someone's back shed and they've restored it. That has happened so but many times. But that was in the 70s, Yeah, well, God's in sake. the 70s, not even nitrate film. I know. And, and apparently there's very little left of Robert Menzies, our Prime Minister uh, from the late 40s, 50s, because Parliament would just record over nothing. I've, I've heard a lot of the... Um ABC's videotape yes. archives They're from the 60s too. and the 70s, same thing, yeah. same thing, um, entire series of, um, what was it, I think things like Bellbird and yes. and all that sort of stuff. Again, gone. landmark cultural. Yeah, and but um, at the time you wouldn't think pieces. so because there was always so much of it being produced and, yeah. you know, another year of Bellbird mm. you know, went off for decades. It's extraordinary, isn't it, we could, could think that back then. You know, but, people who are professionally involved in making film could think, ah, no, dump it. But in a, way, in a way it's quite natural because the way I see it is because it's like theatre. Theatre is transient. It's oh, here well, yes. and then it's gone. Mm. So why shouldn't television be the same? It's here and then it's gone. That's interesting. It might actually be a hangover from that ephemeral nature of theatre. Um, so therefore, why isn't theatre being recorded? Well, it is. The National Theatre at the moment has got an, uh, in, in the UK has had a program now for about 12 months called NT Live, which is very exciting. They actually film a live performance on stage at the National in London and beam it out around Europe and to anywhere whose time zones can accommodate an 8pm show or whatever it is, 6pm. And then it comes to other countries about a week later. So we've had that in Australia. So they are being recorded. What we're getting there, though, is a mediated version of a stage production, which is all a filmed or recorded production can ever be, because the liveness, the essential liveness of sitting in that room with however many other people around you is totally lost on a film. I saw uh, Helen Mirren's Fedra, this one of these NT lives last year, and it was really interesting. It was out at the Dendy at Portside. The audience seemed to go along for the ride that it was a theatre performance because they applauded at the end, even though it was a film. Uh, and we knew it was a film, and we knew that there were five cameras working and that it was totally mediated. You couldn't look where you wanted to do, which is what you can in theatre. So it wasn't just the full stage on the no, screen? No, no, no. There were close-ups. There were, you know, uh-huh. all of that. Uh, but it was done live, so there must have been a huge rehearsal, a camera rehearsal process going into it. But... I loved it because it gave me this sense of what theatre was like in 2009 on the stage at the National, acting styles, all of these are preserved and so that's fantastic. But this that's is only really recent. really good. This is very... This is only recent, You know, yeah. like we've got, um, since the advent of television, we've got 50 years of yeah, theatre that hasn't right. been recorded. Yeah, yeah. And we've got some very old audio tapes from back at the beginning of the 20th century in the late 19th of great actors doing their piece. But again, you can only get a snapshot of what... And you don't even know whether they were performing for a microphone which wasn't very good, you know, whether you're actually hearing what you'd hear on stage mm. live. But you get a sense of the style, how people spoke Shakespeare, say, in in 1898 or 1935 mm. or whatever it was. There's great debate about the value of filming a stage play I, I think it's it's valuable. I think it's enormously valuable. But it's a recording 
of a performance. It is not a stage performance. And once you understand that... Well, that's fine. the word record, recording, yeah. you know, it is an archive of an event. Mm. Now we think of it as a record, mm. you know, like a CD. But you don't, when you go to the movies, you don't think of that as a record of... A, of but it is. I know it is. I know that's what it is. But, but when we you, think of it as, an, as, an, as a As thing. a performance that's, that's right. happening that's now. Right. If you go to see NT Live, uh, Nation, you know, which is. Is, you know you go, this happened last week in mm. London, so it's a record yes. of that performance, and I'm seeing it as such. But when I go to see Avatar, I don't sort of think of it as a record. record. I no. think of it, yeah. And so we're caught between... Yeah. Yeah, and that's because Two it's all blurring. But yeah. I'm quite cavalier. I personally think data storage now is so cheap and it's getting cheaper all the time. Why not just record everything mm. and let the archivists of the future decide which is valuable and which isn't? Mm. Just record it all. And why not just sit an audio recorder on the rehearsal room floor mm. and just record the rehearsals and the faux pas and everything mm. and just record it all? And What's yeah. really interesting, what's happening, we haven't done it yet uh, here, but I'm, I'm pushing that we should do it, is to have streaming live mm. rehearsals and even streaming performances. They're happening more and more. They have to be reasonably short performances, although there was a great production of the Oristia that a company in America did uh, late last year and I got up at 2am to watch it. And it was great because we had the comment, the chat down the, pa- the side... So people were tweeting and commenting. Oh, so something like Ustream. I think it might have been Ustream. But I'm watching what the people in the auditorium in America are seeing and I'm talking to my fellow audience members about what I see. And it's a bit the equivalent of reaching over and whispering in someone's ear in the, in the theatre some comment. Isn't he fantastic? Yeah. You know, but it's going on here, and that's recorded. So not only do you have the streaming, which can be recorded as well, but you've also got the audience's responses, which you never get in live theatre, and that's so valuable mm. Mm. because how an audience feels at the moment that it's experiencing what's going on is you know, amazing, as, as we've seen in live tweets of concerts and, and performances Profoundly and so on. different to when Absolutely. you write the article oh, a day yeah. later. Yeah, and you reflect yeah. back on it. Yeah. yeah. In fact, last night I was at Hamlet at La Boite, which opened. End of uh, curtain call, everyone's applauding wildly, and uh, I looked around, and there's a guy behind me with his iPhone out, tapping away, and I heard the fellow next to him say, what are you doing? He says, I'm just tweeting about it. <laughs> Good on him. So it was going out straight away, yeah. you know, his responses uh, to the opening night. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your early days here at QTC when you first met Murray and those early days of acting back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. What were they like? Very exciting because the company back then was mindful of its its newness and the artistic director, Alan Edwards, had just come from NIDA where he had had been a, a tutor in acting and he was starting up a company and I suspect that he carried a lot of his mentoring tutors or at least he wore that hat a lot of the time. And I told you before we were talking about my own training, I came back, I was a trained actor, but very few of the young actors in my age group at the time had been trained. They hadn't been to NIDA, they hadn't been anywhere. So I was one of the few that actually had been to classes. We used to get classes every day, which was fantastic. You know, I really loved that. And there was a great guy with the company, the blessed Joe McCollum of Sainted Memory, mad Irishman, Dubliner. 
And Joe, I think, had a, a significant impact upon most of us. Jeffrey Rush, Carol Burns, Billy Brown, myself, you know, all of us. So you were all contemporaries? Yeah. And um, Joe would um, take us for voice class and text work, stuff that we saw Cicely Berry doing years later. He, he did that with us in 1971, 2, 3, 4, whenever. And you would start the day off that way, and he would give you a, a, a master class. He would take you on your own, and you were expected to have learnt a pretty knotty piece of script. I remember he worked with me on a, I think it was Queen Margaret from Henry VI. Come stand upon this molehill here, that one, which is a nightmare. And I remember about an hour and a half of him wrangling that text with me, and it was one of the best experiences I'd had. I was a trained young actor. I didn't think I knew it all, but, you know, I'd, I'd been in those classes. But Joe just brought another level of, of understanding and passion to it. And that was what it was like. So we were aware that we were starting something off and everyone was, was terribly excited about it. And I think the other side of, of all of this is the audience in Queensland or Brisbane at the time, their expectations of what we might do and what we might produce. There were the highest expectations, and I think that must have been a burden that Alan wore, but I think he wore it fairly lightly. At least we didn't see it. You know, he was a very... He's very passionate about his theatre, but he was a charming, cool, calm, collected Englishman, you know, so we never ever saw whether he had nightmares about the expectations from the government because, of course, Queensland Theatre Company has always been a statutory authority. It was uh, came into being through an act of parliament. So he's got the state government behind him. He's got the uh, theatre-going population of Queensland expecting the Queensland Theatre Company to be the best thing. Some of it was good, some of it was, was pretty was, awful, but it was all very exciting. Was some of that desire to do very well and the high expectations because of a cultural cringe? Oh... It was alive and well back then. The cringe? Oh, yeah, yeah. If you can cast your mind back, you know, a period of intense nationalism in Australia, I think the notion that we're as good as anybody from Sydney, especially Sydney's was the one. But no, I think it probably was, look, we, we can do it just as well and we're going to show that we can. Yes, I think there would have been a healthy dose of that, but I, that's not the entire story, of course. And if you'd asked anybody at the time, they probably would have denied it vehemently, said, no, we don't care about that stuff. But of course it's always there. Yeah. It's still there. I don't think we've ever lost the cringe. You've been playing with acting 50 or so years, mm -hmm. all your life. Eventually you married your director mm -hmm. and you had some children. Mm. Did they want to become actors and would you have encouraged it if they did? You know, that's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, my son, who is now an actor, came to it relatively late because he he said to me, you know, when you uh, and Daddy spoke about it, um, you always said, oh, don't do that, you know, there's no money in it. No, I'm thinking, oh, my God, surely we didn't say that. That was a terrible thing to say. And he said, oh, well, even if you didn't say it, that was the impression we gave, which was if you have to do it, then do it, but oh, there were probably other things that you can do. And he said to me, do you mind if I try to sort of train, get a place and train? I said, of course not, absolutely not. Did I actively encourage them? No. Did I lay the foundation for their love of theatre? Of course I did. They were taken to the theatre uh, from, you know, babyhood. I remember changing my daughter's nappies one night. I was going to the show and uh, my mother was babysitting for me. She could just speak and I told them that there are Mummy did some things and she used to go to rehearsal 
or she would tell stories. And I remember she looked up at me this night and I was in the middle of changing a nappy and she said, you go and hustle or tell stories? And I thought, oh, my God, she no Yeah, so I think I said, I'm going to tell stories. So they went to the theatre when Edward, who is now a professional actor, was three. I remember Murray was babysitting him during a, a technical production week and this little three-year-old was walking around on stage pointing into the flies and saying, uh, put a light here, Daddy, you know, all of these sort of cutesy pie sort of stories. I mean, it's kids learn um, that way. So I guess they were absorbing what theatre was all about. They met our friends who would come for, you know, other actors and so on for meals and the choice was theirs. They both eventually chose to follow that path but not before diverting elsewhere and my daughter decided not to continue with it because she just wasn't finding the satisfaction in it that she thought she would whereas my son avoided it like the plague and then came back to it uh, in his mid-twenties so and he's managed to find work yeah yeah he's just come off a national tour of the Kursk that went round the country. So since he's graduated, he's, he's done pretty well, but he's out of work right now. He's resting. <laughs> Between jobs. I remember when Billy Brown came to USQ some years ago, I asked him to come up and speak to a graduating class. And I remember one of the students said to him, have you ever been out of work? And he stopped for a minute and he said, no. Oh, he said, I've been unwaged lots of times, but I've never been out of work as an actor. And he went on to say what he does when he's not being paid. He's working on a, another play. He's learning, I think he was working on Persian love poetry at the time. You know, painting, going to movies, feeding the imagination. So acting isn't an occupation or a job. It's a life. Well, it's a profession. You profess yourself to it. You know, I think... You know, the way nuns and priests do. They profess themselves. They give themselves over to that, that life. Yeah, so I think my son's done that. And, yeah, he's unwaged at the moment, but he's still thinking of himself as an actor. I know he's, he's writing and going to workshops and meeting up with people, colleagues, and keeping the flame burning. You know, that's the hardest thing. It's been a full life, hasn't it, so far? Yeah. You know, and, and you've still got all this other stuff coming through. Mm. You know, it's been a very, very full life. Well, it's, it's, it's been rewarding. One of the great things is, this makes me sound like a very old person, but on an opening night to stand in the reception crowd afterwards and look around and see so many of the students that I trained, the university trained where I happen to work, but I know them very well. You know, I've got that intimate relationship that you have with, you know, between students and teachers. And then to see them develop and become really fine young artists, it, it's great and it makes me feel very hopeful for Queensland theatre. There are many of them out there, that critical mass of trained young artists and creatives, actually trying to do something about the theatre here is, is very heartening and I want to continue to be part of that for as long as I can. Wonderful. Kate, thank you very much for sharing a little bit of what the world of a professional theatre actor is like. It's something I had no idea of and it's wonderful to actually see a small glimpse into it. Thanks, thank you very much. My pleasure.
stories in the naked city. This has been one of them.